family and friends. Uh, welcome once again to our online service for this weekend. Uh, grateful to have you along and to study uh, His Word to, together with you. Uh, I was thinking this week as I was feeding my cows, uh, as I was throwing fresh hay over the fence, they just come running. You know, they're just so excited and they, they run up there to, to, to hold, I think, to see me, but probably to get to the food. And uh, this... Um, this week, as I was thinking about it, I, I just had this thought come to mind. Do I have that same desire, that same hunger uh, for God's word that I'm just running to, to get to uh, hear what he has to say? You know, I, I think that there's been times in my life, seasons in my life for sure, where I'd say, oh, man, I'm, I'm excited about it. And then there's other seasons in my life where it just seems, you know, that, the, that the, there's a dullness there in, in me, not in the word, but in me to, to get there. And so my prayer today is that God would stir up that desire, that hunger for his word again, for truth uh, in my heart. And I pray that that's your prayer for today as well. So uh, let's jump in. We're kind of in a mini-series called uh, A Lot of Life Lessons from the Life of Lot. And uh, it started because uh, a group of young guys and myself have been meeting on Monday nights looking at the life of Abraham and, and studying this this uh, this this uh, hero of faith, a guy who just trusted God, not with everything, but in a lot of areas. And uh, just it's just such a great example to us of what it means to trust God. But then we noticed that uh, there was other characters in the story, and one was his nephew, a guy named Lot, who, uh, you know, his his father had passed away, Lot's father, and uh, that was Abram's brother. And so Abram had took Lot kind of under his wing, and and uh, they they were on a journey together. God had called Abram to say, leave where you're living and just trust me, I'm going to take you to a place that, you know, is going to blow your mind, and you're going to, he says, but I'll show it to you when, once you get there. And and so Abram just trusted God and, and, and stepped out, and, and Lot, obviously, you know, trusted Uncle Abraham and trusted God and said, okay, well, we'll go with you. And so they uh, traveled together and that was 4,000 years ago. And, and maybe you're like thinking, we asked this last week, what does, what does this guy named Lot from 4,000 years ago have to do with my life today? And uh, we said last week, a lot, because humanity hasn't changed all that much. And the things that they wrestled with and learned from back then are things that we wrestle with and can learn today. And so, you know, as, I, as we were studying this, I, I just have to be... Um, Honest, like the things that jumped out at me were things that jumped out at me personally uh, for my life as I as I studied this uh, the, um, this this character named Lot, and um, that's why I would encourage you to read the Word of God personally for yourself as well. Maybe you'll join us on the Bible Project if you'd like. Just shoot me a text and uh, ask to join the Bible Project with us, and we'll we'll get you on reading with us. But just allowing Holy Spirit that opportunity to speak to your heart to make His Word alive in your heart and change your life. And I hope that that's what happens today as a result of this. So let's jump right in. Last week, we learned that Lot and Abram were traveling together, uh, but they only traveled together for, for a season of time. And uh, we learned in Genesis chapter 13, if you got your Bible, open it, it just go along there with us. Genesis um, 13 verse 5, it says this, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. And so then it says that Abram said to Lot, you know, hey, you take one way and I'll go the other. And it says in verse 11, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. 
You know, they had, uh, they've been, it's just they traveled together. When you think of traveling together, it wasn't just, you know, that they, like, like today where you, you know, hey, we'll carpool and hop in with me and we'll take you there and then kind of drop you off again. It was, uh, it was much more than that. Um, they, they did life together. Their lives were intertwined together. Uh, and as a result, I mean, anytime you do life with somebody, there's going to be disputes. There's going to be things that come up. And that's, that's what happened here. They had been traveling together and then they decided to part company to no longer do life together. Uh, and disputes, you know, they, they broke out between the two sides, uh, Abram's people and then Lot's uh, people. And, you know, all, all of us today know that that only happened back then. I mean, we don't have disputes like that anymore today. Nobody separates and decides we're just going to go different ways anymore. Well, well of, of course we know that's not true. Of course we see that happening today, maybe even more. You know, as they had gotten into this dispute, their thought was, hey, well, well, we're probably better off apart. You know, as they stood up there and they looked all over, Lot was saying, you know, probably singing to himself, to the left, to the left. I'll take everything in the valley to the left. See you, Uncle Abe. I'm out of here. You know, and uh, uh, Abe's left with whatever was on the right. And, you know, I look, I, I wonder if I, you know, uh, when we look at the end of Lot's life and see that he found himself ended up in a cave alone and afraid. Well, he was with his two daughters, but they were terrified of everybody and living in this cave, um, totally separate from everything. I wonder if he's sitting in that cave and ever wondering, well, thought, man, you know, I wish I'd made a different decision at that moment. Wonder if he would have done something differently, you know, where there are um, people, there's always going to be disputes. There's no getting around that. You know, I've, I've often, I've, I've, well, so, sometimes I've heard people, you know, who've never had, like, they say, oh, we're never going to have any fights. And usually it's dating couples or people who are, are engaged and getting married. And, you know, in our pre-marriage classes, we talk about conflict. And every once in a while, there'll be a couple that says, well, we never fight. You know, you know, he's like, he's so dreamy. He's so perfect. We just get each other. You know, we, we, have, we have everything in common. And I, I always talk to them like, all right, you know what? Let's chat six months after you're married. And then you find out, man, they, they, if they didn't learn how to fight, well, they figured it out by that point, or at least they've had some disputes. Because whenever you get people close together, you know, you're going to have disputes. There's going to be these things. And so our hope is that the disputes wouldn't always lead to a, a decision to break fellowship or to go separate ways or to, to lead to this word called division, that the disputes wouldn't lead to, um, to division. You know, earlier this year, we did a series called Foundations, and uh, you can go on our, on our podcast or our YouTube channel and find them. And we just talked about the early church, how Jesus started the church. And we read in Acts chapter um, 2, verse 42, these words. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. You know, they devoted themselves to fellowship. That word fellowship in the Greek is this cool word called koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship, which is how it was translated in that particular ver version, but it also means association, um, communion, joint participation, and community. You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy for them back in the first, uh, first century to devote themselves to this type of um, community, but uh, it says they devoted themselves to it. Which, what, what does that mean? It means they persevered or they were intentional. They gave attention to it because they wanted it bad enough. They were going to make sure that, that, uh, that it happened. And so, you know, they were committed to being together because they truly believed that, that they were better together. Uh, and that's that, that com commitment to fellowship. 
You know, it's a, it's a rare thing. You know, I was reminded of um, of the, the Pink Star Diamond, which I saw this, uh, I didn't see the actual thing, but just seeing it online this week. It was mined in 1999, and then it was uh, ended up being cut and presented in 2000, and, well, unveiled, I guess, in 2003 as this magnificent diamond. It was 59 carats. And uh, it sold at an auction for $71.2 million just a few years ago. I mean, that is crazy money for a little stone. And, and you know, comparatively, it's a, it's a large stone compared to other, other diamonds. Um, but the, the reason for its cost is that it's extremely rare. There are so few of those uh, type of diamonds, let alone that size of diamonds in the world, that it was worth the $71 million to this person. Uh, you know, that there's, there's something about rarity that gives something value. I read uh, this week about a story of a guy, a uh, dad who bought his, his daughter a car. She wanted a car so bad, so he, he brings home this old uh, Corvette or something. I wasn't exactly sure of the, the car in the picture, but he brings this old car home for her. And uh, she, she looks at it, she's like, oh, it looks dusty and it doesn't look that great. And she's like, oh, you know, he, the dad can see the disappointment in her eyes right away. And and uh, she, he, she, uh, she's kind of like, Dad. I was kind of like hoping for, I don't, you know, like, a, like, a, like a nicer car. And uh, his dad said, Well, what do you think this thing's worth? She's like, I don't know. I don't think a lot. And so instead of the, you know, just answering that question, the dad just decided, you know, let's let's do a little experiment. You know, one of those little life lessons. Let's let's help my daughter uh, understand something. And so he said, you know what? Let's find out what it's worth. Why don't you take it to the scrap dealer and ask them what they'll give it uh, give you for? It? But don't take their money. Just just go find out. So she took the car to the scrap dealer and he said, eh, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. And so she came home and told her dad and he said, yeah, you know, well, why don't we take it to the used car dealer? Let's see if we can trade it in there and see if you can get maybe get the car that you want, that you really want. And so they took it to the used car dealer and he looked it over and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll give you about a thousand bucks for it. It's, you know, it's not worth much more than scrap to me. And uh, so she she's, came home and told her dad. And then he says, you know, just let's do one more thing. Why don't you take it to, you know, the, my buddies from the car club, see what they think. And so she drove down to the car club on the night when they were meeting and she asked the guys there and the one guy right away said to her, hey, if you're selling this car, let me tell you, any guy here would give you $100,000 right now gladly for it. So, you know, don't sell it anywhere else, but sell it here. And her kind of her eyes like, like wide open, goes home and tells her dad, and why is it? Because the car, that car was rare. You know, they, they weren't just a dime a dozen. It wasn't just a Kia you could buy anywhere. This was, this was something special. She just didn't realize it. But somebody did. And there was this value to it because it was rare. And, you know, those are just diamonds in cars. But, you know, this idea of fellowship, this close community, this right relationship with people with one another, it's uh, becoming more and more rare all the time. And as a result, it uh, has this incredible, incredible value to it. This koinonia, fellowship, communion, community. You know, that's what the early church was devoted to. And I believe they benefited from it as a result. You know, one of the descriptor words in that um, word koinonia is the word community. And you, know, you can't even spell the word community without that word unity. You know, uh, unity is one of those things that I think, you know, most of us would love to have. It just seems so elusive at times. You know, I was reminded of David as he wrote in the Psalms. David was a famous king in the in the um, Jewish history, and uh, not only was he a king, he was a great worship leader and a and a and a musician. And he wrote these songs. And you know, back then it was expensive for uh, people to to put things down to papyrus, and so most of the things that you know songs people wrote or read or whatever they 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 never ended up on paper. But King David's, I mean, he's wealthy, and so his songs ended up being written down. I'm glad of it because we actually have them today. So here's one of the songs that he. Road. It's called Psalm 133. 
uh, and it's very short, but uh, only three verses. But verse one says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to, to get along, to do life together in unity. You know, David wrote this song called The Song of Ascent because uh, it was a song as people were walking up the, the um, hillside or the mountainside up to the city of Jerusalem. They were oftentimes there were these feasts. And so everybody from, from the, the surrounding areas would all come to the city for this one thing. And, and these are some of the songs that they would sing as they were walking along. Hey, you know how great it is for brothers, brothers to dwell together in unity. And I, and I wonder if David maybe, you know, was thinking about that uh, as he wrote it, realizing, wait a second, you know, he lives in Jerusalem and, and there's a whole lot of people coming there. I remember living in Port Dover, and it was this quaint little town, a lot of seniors, and uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was just a, just a nice, you know, quiet uh, town, except for Friday the 13th, when sometimes up to 100,000 bikers would come driving in and parking, and you know what, when you get that many, you know, people together, there's going to be disputes, right, you know, that was my parking space, and whatever, you see fights and stuff, I'm like, oh man, like, this is all so different. Uh, but I wonder if David thought the same thing. He's like, all these people are coming to my Jerusalem, you know. Maybe it'd be good, helpful if they were kind of singing along the way, right? He's like, he knows when they get there, they'd be like, that's where my camel belongs. You know, park your donkey somewhere else. And, and he said, what have we got them singing on the way? You know, hey, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. You know, this thing of saying, hey, you know, hey, brothers, we're, we're in unity. And reminded, you know, when they start getting these disputes, you know what, you're right. It's better for us to dwell together in unity. What a, what a good, a good reminder. It happens anytime we get people together in smaller spaces, no matter where that may be. But I reckon that we'd agree with David and we'd agree with, uh, you know, others who would say the same thing. We're better off. We're better off when there's unity. We're better off when there's unity. And you know, when I think about unity, there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. Um, unity is, is the thing we need, but uniformity, I think, is the one we think about. It's the thing we want. We like Uniformity is like, I want everybody to think like me. I want everybody to act like me, agree with me, do things the way I do them. We'll get along a whole lot better. I don't know about you, but I'm like that. That's, that's, I have those feelings. Like if, if they would just see it my way, it would be so much better. Until I really think that through a little further. You know, how boring would it be in the fall if every single tree turned the exact same shade of orange? I mean, the whole thing was exactly the same. You'd be like, yeah, it might be kind of neat, but there's such a beauty in the fall colors when you realize that all of the different shades and different colors paint this majestic masterpiece. You know, how, how weird would it be if the whole body was all fingers or if they were all ears or if they were all eyes? You know, Paul wrote to actually the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, asking them that and saying, hey, you know, we're, the body of Christ is made up of a whole lot of different types of parts. They're not going to look the same, act the same, do the same things, function the same, but they're meant to create this one um, greater thing. And I think how boring would life be if we gave up all of our individuality for conformity? We just were like, you know, we're all going to do the same thing. We're all going to be exactly the same. We're all going to have the same ideas and thoughts on these things. How boring would, uh, you know, would life be? It'd be just this robotic existence if humanity was like that. And that but that's uniformity. And that, there is this push for uniformity, but that's not unity. That's not what David was saying about. That's not what the early church devoted themselves to. Unity is this. It's the state of forming a complete and harmonious whole. The state of, uh, of forming a complete and harmonious whole. 
when I think about it, I think of like like a kaleidoscope. You know, when I was a kid, I used to play with those. You know, you look through and you you twist it, and all the little pieces inside, you know, they would move, and there was mirrors, and and uh, they would create this beautiful master, this beautiful image. And then as you as you turn the kaleidoscope and shift it all, well, all of a sudden, the, you know, those colors would, would just form a totally different, but always beautiful, beautiful image. And, uh, you know, I thought it's similar to today, you know, where we've got all different people meant to bring, you know, this, this unity, this beauty to uh, different things. But as the world shifts and shifts and shifts, it's like it's, it's remembering to, to come together to bring about that beautiful image. You know, I think uh, maybe a better description of us as uh, humanity, even as the, the church, would probably be a mosaic. You know, a beautiful sculpture or a piece of artwork made out of broken things, broken pottery, broken um, pieces of, of other art put together to make this, these, these beautiful images and uh, these beautiful scenes. And, I, you know, I think it's like looking at the other pieces. Oh, they don't look like me. They don't think like me. They don't, they don't agree with everything that, that I agree with. What can I learn from them? What can I see and gain from them in, in order to to come together to create something beautiful, especially in the body of Christ. You know, that, that's where I think it's such an important thing for us to consider, especially for myself. You know, it seems so much easier to focus on our differences. It seems easier to say, well, let's just part company. And we've seen that happen multiple times where it's, it's isolation. It's like, well, just, you know, we don't agree. So we, we just don't talk to each other anymore. We can't talk to each other anymore. And we, we go down these different roads, you know, uh, I think about Jesus um, in the garden, and as he prayed for the church, he prayed not just for his disciples there, but for uh, for us. John, who was an eyewitness follower of Jesus, he was there that night, and he was listening in on Jesus' prayer, and he wrote it down for us. And it goes like this in John chapter 17. Here's what Jesus prayed. He says, I'm praying not only for those disciples, the ones here, he says, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they'll be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. May they be, he says, uh, may they be one. Just as he compares, like, Father, I'm in you, you're in me. He's like, I don't want them to be in, you know, in one another's lives like that. He says, I want them to be in us. Because if they're in us, they can be one, regardless of whatever else is going on in their lives. You know, Paul would later write to the early church in Ephesus, and he used some of the similar terms, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. It's incredible thoughts right there. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And uh, that's kind of the, the how to what he next says. He says this, verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, in all, and living through all. So make every effort to keep that bond together in the Spirit. Uh, you think about that effort. Is it worth the effort? Because it does take effort. It really does. It takes devotion. It takes attention. The, the easiest way for that relationship, that koinonia, fellowship, community, unity to fall apart is just to simply not focus on it. Uh, and that Just let, let it go. It will fall apart. You know, there's so many things trying to divide us and uh, as people, but especially as the church. So many things in our world trying to divide us today. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Gladiator. It's got so many quotable uh, quotes in it. 
But there's this one scene where where this uh, bunch of prisoners is put together in the middle of the gladiator arena, and they're supposed to they're in the arena because they're reenacting a, a thing from history where these this group of people was slaughtered by all these other you know warriors, and so the gladiators were the warriors, and these prisoners were going to be slaughtered. And and Maximus in his famous um, uh, lines there, he says to, to he asks the group there, he's like, "Any of you been in the army before?" And there's like, "Well, there was one or two. Uh, and he says, okay, well, he says, it does, he says, whatever comes out of those gates, we have no idea what it is, but whatever comes out of those gates, our best chance of survival is if we stick together and if we function as one. And then sure enough, out from the gates come all of these chariots with these men with massive swords and they come after this little group of people in the middle. Well, doesn't it happen that as they go through the whole thing that the little group in the middle actually destroys all the others and everybody watching is like, well, this isn't how the story was supposed to go but just gives a great picture of what happens when, when a group of people are united. And it's, it's the same thing today. We have a real enemy who's really out to attack us. And when I say enemy, I mean the devil, just like Peter um, said in, in uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's, uh, he's always looking for those ones who are kind of on their own or off to the side or, or uh, you know, it's the ones who have divided. Like, that's the enemy's plan. Divide people, separate them, you know, have them part ways because then they're easier to pick off. When they're united, there's something powerful that he's got to contend with and often uh, find def- uh, himself defeated. And so he'll try any way to divide people, any way. You know, whatever he can from the outside. But sometimes, you know, he'll just, he'll try and use things from the inside as well. He'll use people. We see it all the way through the, uh, through the New Testament. There was just so many things they had to deal with when it came to the division within the church. You know, they would divide. There was the dealing with division over race because it was like Jew versus Gentile. And, and uh, they, the Jews wouldn't want, didn't want to accept the Gentiles. And was, you know, God had spoken to Peter in Acts. And they, Paul wrote throughout the things like, no, like, listen, it's not about the separation. We are, there's no, there's no race in Christ. He's like, in Christ, we are this one big multi-ethnic a singular family of God. And, and he says, so, so let's not divide over race. Don't look and see all of the different races. We're one family. And then they would divide over things like circumcision. And, and the Jews were like, fine, we'll let them in, but they got to become Jewish. And Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said to them, no, it is, that's not about, uh, it's not about that either. He says, it's, it's about realizing, yes, they're different and we're different, but that's the beauty of it because we form one family. And then James, uh, James had to write to the believers and, 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 and um, challenge them and sort of chastise them for, for segregating believers. He said, you know, here you are, you have rich people coming in and you treat them better than you treat the poor people. He's like, you're actually, there's this class and then there's this other class over here of people. You don't even let them come in or have a seat. He's like, that is not right. That is not godly. We're not called to segregate anybody when it comes um, as far as the people who are in the family of Christ. They're, they're part of the family. And then there was in Romans 14, they talked about how there was division over conscience. And, and, you know, if you have a chance to read um, uh, Romans 14, please do. It's such a powerful chapter. And in Romans 14, Paul says to the, to the church there, he's like, there's this thing called conscience where you two can look at the same subject, the same item, and one person will say, oh, it'd be a sin if I did that. And this person says, it'd be a sin if I didn't do that. He said, like, don't fight over it or divide over it. Realize that he says, you both are accountable to God for that. So be true to your conscience in those things and be true to one another in Christ. That people realize that people can have different, very different conscience about the very same issue. And then there was division over opinion. 
You know, Paul and Barnabas experienced this. They had a they they had this uh, this strong opinions in the situation, and you know we have that today. Our people have strong opinions, and and uh, the the truth is, we need to be able to have um, strong opinions. You're entitled to your opinion, I, same as me. But we've got to find out how to be able to have conversations about those opinions that don't lead to dispute and and uh, division. And how we share those opinions, it, it matters. You know, Paul, I was reminded of Proverbs 15, where Solomon writes and says, a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, when you're in a conversation with somebody, and you don't agree and you watch something just go like hostile. It's like just staying calm, having a soft thing, saying, hey, OK, help me understand where you're coming from. This is just it's so, so important. Well, we see, you know, Paul wrote to the Galatians and he, he warned them of this. He warned them when, the, the, when you focus on all this division, it, it's, it's going to go badly for you. He says, verse 14 of Galatians 5, for the whole law, which is doing the right thing. He says, if you want to do the right thing, it can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out because you're beware of destroying one another. He's like, he's writing to the church and saying, hey, if, you, if you're at each other about the things you're divided against, you're actually going to destroy you. You're going to destroy this beautiful thing called the church, the gathering. I remember watching, uh, you know, America's Funniest Home Video, this dog sitting on a couch. He's eating a bone and all of a sudden his back leg starts creeping up behind, behind him. And uh, he, he starts snarling and so he, bites his own, he bites his own leg thinking it's trying to steal his bone. And it's like, it's hilarious. You know, this, uh, this last week we saw a snake that had eaten half of, or, th- or probably a third of his own body uh started with the tail and just was was eating himself and i think you look at that and think that man, that, that's that's hilarious when you see that happen except it's not hilarious when uh when it's happening you know in in real life to a church or to to a gathering of people where they they're they're devouring one another is what what paul says and that the 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 bottom line of that is that those strings are being pulled by the enemy for sure because it's what he wants but, uh, you know, Paul, the guy who wrote most of those words, most of those encouragements, most of those, you know, commendations towards unity, he didn't get it perfect all the time either, which is, a, you know, a great comfort for me because I don't get it right all the time. I don't. And as I was reading through this, I realized, you know, I, I, I as much need to take these things to heart. Uh, when I see Paul and Barnabas, you know, these two guys were like the dynamic duo. I mean, they were, they were like doing ministry together, doing life together. They are turning the world upside down together, planting churches together. I mean, they were like, they were, they were, they were in um, fellowship and koinonia until they had this disagreement over a person. Uh, his name was John Mark. And, you know, in Acts 15, verse 36 to 40, it actually tells us of the account. Like Paul had wanted to do something good. He's, he's saying to Barnabas, Barnabas, hey, we should go, you know, uh, and go visit all the churches we started and let's go encourage them. And Barnabas is like, I agree. Let's do this. And so they're in agreement. But Barnabas is like, hey, but I think we should take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, absolutely not. And all of a sudden, here they go. They have a, both have opinions about this guy. Paul's like, no way. He left us last time we took him with us. We are not taking him. And Barnabas is like, come on. We got to give him another chance. We need grace. And Paul's like, not a chance. If you want to go with him, you go ahead, you know. Um, and and they, they had these different opinions. He's like, you know, Mark is useful. And he's like, Mark is useless. You know, Mark is useful. Mark is useless. And and I mean, I don't know, maybe that's your argument too. But uh, they, had this, they had this argument back and forth. And they finally said, you know, Paul's finally like, fine. You want him? You go ahead. But you're going without me. And Barnum's like, fine. And so Barnum's leaves with Mark and Paul's like, Silas, hey, you want to go with me? I seem to have an opening. And he goes off a different way. 
And, you know, we know from uh, the readings of uh, the scripture and from, from uh, the, the early church fathers that the Paul and Barnabas never did ministry together again. They reconciled and they wrote, you know, Paul wrote about Barnabas being a, a great man still, but they never had the chance to do ministry together again. That fellowship was permanently broken. You know, and I think as people, seeing it with Paul and Barnabas, seeing it with Lot and Abram, and seeing it in my own life, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. You know, we are. Like, uh, as people, I mean, that includes me, that includes you. We're going we're to get this wrong sometimes, and we need to be able to show each other grace. You know, I like how Paul writes to the believers and says, hey, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I thought about that this week. I, I realized, you know, the, there's the, the algorithms of social media. There's an algorithm in social media that, that sends stuff to your Facebook page and Facebook feed that you already agree with and actually makes you, you know, dig in deeper and deeper into that, re- that realm of thinking. And same for me. And the purpose of that algorithm is to cause division, that you'll, be, that you'll be further and further in this direction while others go further and further in this direction. And, you know, the media, you see it even, even now, constantly pitting groups against each other. It's all about, you know, whose lives matter this week and whatever else is going to happen. And, you know, recently it's based on the vaccination status, the vax versus the unvax, and it's pitting all of these people, these groups against each other. And that algorithm is at work. And then I just thought about the, the algorithm of the Spirit. You know, that as we tune into Holy Spirit and listen for His voice, He's always going to be directing us to unity. Not uniformity, that we agree on everything, but unity, that we would be committed, devoted to fellowship, to community, to this, this mutual participation in things. And the, 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 his, the Holy Spirit, and keeping, keeping in step, would be like, stay focused on who Stay focused on who unites us rather than what divides us. Because it's the who, it's him that unites us. It's not so much about what divides us. You know, to focus on why we're the church rather than on, you know, how we might be doing each and every part of church. It's, you know, it's so easy to say, well, I don't like what they're doing at that, so I'm just, I'm out of here. Whereas it's, it's that realization of why are we doing this? Why has he called us to this place? You know, Paul encouraged the Roman believers not to divide over things of conscience. He's like, you know, one of them looks and says, hey, we can't, we can't eat meat, you know, that's been offered to idols. You know, that, that would be a sin. And the other, the other side's like, you know what? It's offered to idols, but idols aren't real. So you could offer this to, you know, a couch and uh, it's the same thing. You know, it's just still good meat. And so we're going to we're going to eat it and thank the Lord for it. And they would have these matters of conscience. It's like it's this is sin. This is sin. You know, you guys are you guys are too legalistic. Well, you guys are like way too far into grace and. And they would divide over it. Or this group would say, hey, you know, we, we, we uh, celebrate worship on Saturdays. And this guy, no, it's got to be on Sundays. And like, and this, this uh, against each other, this division. And Paul's like, no, no, listen, if it's a matter of conscience for them for these things, and it's a matter of conscience for them. He says they both are going to give account to God. And if they're both doing it to please the Lord based on their conscience, don't allow that to divide you. You're both doing this for the same reason, for the same person. And what does he say? Romans 14, verse 12, he says this, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. His point was, hey, you know, you both have matters of conscience. Consider, just consider the other person's point of view in how you're going to live out your actions. If, there, if, you, if there's ways that you realize, hey, by doing this, what I was, is this matter of conscience for me is actually going to cause division or cause someone else to stumble. Say, like, I got I to gotta think about that. I got to consider that. How, what can I do in order to not cause that? Because unity is the important thing. 
And then, uh, you know, just in closing, you know, I think uh, look at Lot and I look at the early church and I look at the current church and we see that in all of those time frames and throughout history, there's the opportunity for dispute that will lead to division. And so, you know, today, you know, we see disputes over race, just like they did back then. Disputes over wealth, over status, you know, whether it's, we see the status being vaxxed or unvaxxed right now, but uh, whatever it may be, conscience, um, the disputes over opinion, we see it all the time, you know, and, and, and sometimes the, devo- the divide's unavoidable. Now, there's people who just, they're so dead set in a thing that they cannot, they just, maybe it's say they just will not uh, agree to disagree, and so they part ways. Amos, I believe it's Amos 3, writes about how, how can two walk together unless they agree? How can they, you know, how can they walk in the same direction? How can they experience fellowship if they can't choose to agree on the thing that, the one thing, the one person that matters the most as opposed to the other things? And, you know, sometimes um, we realize that right relationship is just, is more important than being right. And for some, it's like, no, being right is more important than right relationship. And as a result, fellowship is, is broken. Uh, and, and that's, you know, when I think about our world right now, you see so much of that disjointed and uh, that, that division. We've talked about this just a couple months ago, and I think we'll probably have to talk about it again in a couple months because it's so um, prevalent in our, in our society right now. And even it just affects the church as well, but that we would pursue, that we would pursue unity. Why? Because that fellowship, that unity, that commonality uh, around Christ, uh, those, those gatherings of people, they're becoming more and more rare. And more, which is just just shows you know they're, they're they're more and more valuable. It's worth it. It's worth it to uh, to invest in. It's worth it to to put in the effort to see it. You know, Paul gives us an important reminder just to be focused on you know on uh, on who unites us. He wrote to Galatians five verse six. And I just have two scriptures for you before we're done. He says this Galatians five verse six. He says, "For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised." So that's what their issue was back then. He says, "What is important is faith expressing itself in love." He just reminds us, "This is what's most important." It's our faith. It's our trust in God. It's our relationship with God. And not just that, oh, this is, this is my relationship with God. And this is how I do it over here. He's like, no, it's, it's, it's that, but expressing itself in love to other people. It's finding ways to say, hey, you know, who unites us is much more important than things that divide us. I, uh, I, to, to be honest, I have some friendships where we think very, very differently on things. And, and I'm like truly blessed for the ones, the friendships that I have who've, who've also decided that, hey, you know what, who we serve is more important than this. And as a result of that, man, I, those are rare, beautiful, valuable relationships in my life. And I'm grateful for those, uh, those individuals because they've truly helped me to become better. To be able to think about some of the things that where we differ and to have some of those conversations, it's, it's, I'm just truly grateful. You know, and then I think finally it's this, that Paul's saying, hey, what really matters is, is faith expressing itself in love. That's living out that law of, of you know, doing the right thing, uh, of what God desires for us, is loving one another. Uh, and it's being, you know, it's being, uh, remaining connected to, to one thing. What is it? His, his, to him, to his vision, to his mission. And his mission that he's called us to, Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians, and I'll leave it at this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, he says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That itself is such an amazing gift, that he brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for my sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know, that powerful word, reconciliation, the restoration of favor. You know, when people are at odds and there's reconciliation, they come back to this relationship. They've decided that relationship, right relationship, is more important than whatever was dividing them. But this is so much deeper because God, um, Paul writes and, and, and helps us recognize that we are also at a relational gap with God. Without, without Jesus, we stand in this place where we are, have, have voluntarily broken fellowship with God. And we find ourselves in a place where we don't have it in us to figure out how to fix it. And so it says that God came and reconciled us. He crossed that gap and made the relationship, the, the fact that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe, how amazing that is. It's what he's done. He brought that back. And that's what he says. And, and he says, you know what? I've given you that mission now to go out into the world as Jesus followers and tell others the good news that they can be reconciled to God. And he says, you know, that's that thought that all the things that divide us will keep us from that mission. But he's called us to that, that we would be able to go out and share with others that, hey, it's as you know, maybe you feel like you're separated from him. And to be honest, you are, you are, but all that it takes is admitting, you know, it's like the ABC, admit that I'm a, I'm a sinner and that I actually need a savior, admit that I'm not good enough on my own. And then be for believe just that I would put my trust in Jesus, that what he did on the cross, that he died in my place, that he paid for my sins. And I trust him with the outcome of my life. And then third is confess confess that that uh, Jesus is Lord, that he's your master, that you're like, I'm following him now. You know, when he prompts me to do something, I'm going to do that. And that's how, I wanna, that's how I'm going to live the rest of my life because he saved me. I owe it to him and I will. And uh, God promises us that we'll experience eternal life as a result, which is uh, just an incredible gift. So today, maybe if you're watching and, you know, you got to this point, you don't know the Lord, man, he's calling you. Obviously, he's calling you. And I'd encourage you to reach out to him. And for the Jesus followers today, that we would just consider the value of unity, that precious, rare gift and uh, thing that worth pursuing, that we may disagree on different things, but that our, our unity, and uh, that our focus on Christ and his mission would would cause us to, to be together, to remain together in fellowship. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I know what he's doing in my life. I know some of the people that I need to be in contact with. And I, I'd encourage you with that, too. If he's maybe dropping some things in your heart, some faces or some people that you reach out to them and, and uh, have some of those conversations and, and uh, re- re- just be reminded to stay in step with Holy Spirit as we go there. So uh, can we pray together? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for the gift. Today is, uh, it's your day. Every day is. And we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for your word. It messes with us sometimes. It really does. Shows us areas of our life that we just don't have right yet. But I'm grateful for that. Pray that you would take this opportunity, Lord, to move in our hearts, to draw us closer to your, to your word and to your will for our lives. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness for the areas where we've got it wrong. Uh, And Holy Spirit, thank you for your voice that just leads us in your paths of right living. And um, pray that as a result of this, Lord, your your will would be done and uh, that we'd experience the good in our lives as a result. 
Jesus, thank you for coming and giving your life for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. It means the world to me, Lord. Thank you. Just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we always uh, ask people to take an opportunity to to look at some questions and dig a little deeper and to do that with some other people. So if you know others who've watched this, maybe they're in the room with you watching right now, yeah, maybe sit around and just go, go through some of these questions together. Or maybe later on you're going to call somebody up and, hey, hey, can we, can we chat about some of this stuff? What's Holy Spirit doing in our lives? So here, here's the questions. Number one, uh, what jumped out at you from today's talk? Things you need to think about a little bit more. Second, what things have tempted or caused you to break fellowship with other believers? What, what things have tempted you or caused you to, to, to separate? And then uh, third, what things, if any, would you say are more important than right relationship? What things you think are, you know, maybe there's some things you're like, no, this is more important than, than, uh, than unity. And, and why would you say that? And then four, uh, in what ways have you devoted yourself to fellowship with other believers? And what was the result of that? What did you experience as a result? So I pray that today has helped you. Uh, I pray that it helps me as well. I'm grateful for the chance to do this together. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for those, all of those, you, uh, those of you who watch. Um, many of you I may have never met before, and, and I may not meet until eternity, but I will be gladly uh, celebrating him there with you someday. And so thanks for taking the time. Um, be a light shining wherever you find yourself. This, uh, this life of him is worth it. And uh, just know that we love you and praying and encouraging you. And uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. I'll see you later.